This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade is reinventing how you invest. Whether you want to place a trade on Facebook Messenger or get market news from your smart speaker, TD Ameritrade has everything you need to invest on your terms. See what's new at tdameritrade.com/innovation. It's Tuesday, July 31st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, the one and only Bill Mann. Thanks for being here. Hey, you know there are multiple Bill Mans, but I do appreciate. Not to me. I love that. <laughs> it's just one. There's a gospel singer named Bill Mann. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Basketball player played for West Virginia University named Bill Mann. But well, I'm the one who's here. You know what? Maybe next time I'll get one of them. That's right. We'll do. A That's little... right. They they might have better takes than me. We'll do. We'll do a compare and contrast. <laughs> Who knows? Um, we've got some real estate news. We've got some restaurant news. Let's start with the restaurant news, and it's it's Texas Roadhouse and Chipotle, and they're both falling, but for different reasons. And let's start with Texas Roadhouse. Uh, second quarter results. You tell me why why is this stock down when it's? I, I get that there are results that they posted that are below expectations, but I see a restaurant in the middle of 2018 posting same store sales growth of nearly 6% yeah. at company owned locations yeah. most every restaurant that is publicly traded would kill for those kind of numbers so, yeah they may be so, um, the, so ultimately and you started by saying that the two restaurant chains are down for different reasons it's a little bit true but there is something that they both have in common and that's labor costs. And so Kent Taylor came out in the conference call. He said, "Look, everything is going great at the restaurants. We've been putting investments into a lot of things, including training our staff, and we're paying them more. And some of that is coming from us choosing you know, to pay more, which is great. That's the Costco model. And some of it is the reality that labor, the labor market is tight. And so when the market sees that, they'll say, "Okay, this isn't a cost that's one time in nature. It's probably." A sustained pressure on the business, and that's okay. I mean, it really is. Texas Roadhouse, both as a stock and as you mentioned as a company, has had a fantastic few years. And so, yeah, labor costs have gone up, and I think that that's that's really primarily the issue there because the results were fantastic. Uh, one thing on the same store sales because they've got company-owned locations, they've got franchise locations. The franchise comps were about two percentage points lower than the company-owned ones. Is that like when you see something like that? Because they're holding all the good stuff for themselves. <laughs> I mean, when you, does that? I think for someone who might be new to restaurants, they might look at that and just you know, is that a cause for concern, or is that just sort of, or is that an opportunity for? Ken Taylor and his team to go to the franchisees and say, "Hey, look, um, if you, we've got look at, some, what, look at us. Well, we've got yeah. some tips if you're looking to boost your comps a little bit." You know, it's a really good question. One of the really interesting things about how Texas Roadhouse is managed is that they do a really, really good job of taking ideas that come from franchisees and then rolling them out across their stores and then back out to the franchisees. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's an Easter egg in there and some franchisee has told them something amazing that's in the process of being rolled out to everyone else. But generally speaking, it is it's it's a pretty sustainable gap. Uh, that you'll see a little bit better performance at their company-owned stores than you see at the franchisees. I don't think that there's anything. It's not a huge gap 
So I, you know, it would be it would be great to say like, yes, they could pull this lever and it'll be it'll be flat, but. I don't think that's the case. Uh, before we move on to Chipotle, I should say uh, later in the podcast we'll be dipping into the full mailbag. I just got an email the other day from Rich Smith um, saying the Rich Smith. I think it might be the Rich Smith, um, who's a writer here at the Fool. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was a different email address, so maybe it's, maybe it's a different Rich Smith. Maybe, <laughs> it's, maybe were... it's just a listener, Rich, Rich Smith. There was only but but one basically, Rich Smith saying, "Hey, uh, I'm traveling and I'm close to a Bubba's 33 because Texas Roadhouse has a sports bar uh, model called Bubba's 33, mm-hmm. uh, and as I've mentioned before in this podcast, there's not one within a couple hundred miles of here. So, um, so uh, Rich is going to do a little boots on the ground research and, and send his uh, send his thoughts." I am very excited to hear what he has to say about Bubba's thirty. Do you remember when Ken Taylor was here? It was it last year for Fool Fest. Yeah, and we were sitting with him before your interview on stage, and he started talking about Bubba's thirty-three. And you and I were like, "Well, what is that?" And one of one of his uh, one of the people with him. Travis, I think. Yeah, reached into his bag and pulled out a menu, and you and I were like, can we go there now? This looks fantastic. Like, well, you'd, we're not close to Cincinnati. I don't know where the closest yeah. one was. But. Fayetteville, North Fayetteville, Carolina. that's right. Um, so, that's why Texas Roadhouse is down. Chipotle shares are down about 7% today because of the news that Chipotle has temporarily closed a restaurant in Ohio after back. after customers reportedly fell ill after dining there. I feel like we've seen this movie we before. We have and I th- and so here's I, I I have a really hard time figuring out exactly what to do with this information because uh, 170 people got sick at some level. We don't have all of the information yet and and Chipotle immediately voluntarily closed the store. Two things about this. One is that it was a single store. So it suggests to me that the protocols that they have in place as a system are probably okay. If it was multiple stores, this would be an absolute disaster. So something happened at that store, which is probably more solvable. Now, because Chipotle has had those problems in the, you know, and really in 2015 in particular, it's not a great look for them. But it's a single store, so I, I, I'm not sure whether I, I'm not sure whether my instinct is you know is underreacting to this or my instinct is overreacting to this. I'm sure it's something. Well, clearly, uh, investors are reacting with you know in terms yeah. of selling off the stock, and that might be a mistake because I I looked at this story this morning, and what went through my head was after the initial like oh here we go again was this is a spotlight moment. For relatively new CEO Brian Nickel, yeah, this is Brian Nichols' chance to. Here's your close up. Yeah, Yeah. yes, we're ready for your close up, Mr. Nickel, and this is his opportunity to come out with. uh, You know, as you said, we we still don't know all the facts, but once Chipotle has all the facts, and I'm no longer a shareholder of this stock. Yeah, but if I were. I would want to see a very strong statement from Brian Nickel. I would want to see him on like he's got to be in front on this and basically do the opposite of what Stephen. I think that's exactly right. I mean, did in late 2015. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, the instinct has to be we're on top of it. We know exactly what this is. Here's the process. They actually are. are trying to, depending on how the uh, the local health authority, they want to reopen the restaurant today. So, you know, I. 
I suspect that they are on top of it in an entirely different way than the last than the previous regime was. The thing to note, actually, this actually this actually is true for both Chipotle and Texas Roadhouse. Keep in mind, you got to keep the the stock drops in a little bit of perspective. Both of those stocks have had fantastic years. So, the fact that it's pulled back, you know, it's seven percent as we record. You know, it'll be a couple percent within that. We hope by the end of the day, or by the time you know, but by the time the podcast is released, you know, it's just this. This doesn't feel like the market is treating it like the debacle that you know that existed in 2015. Absolutely. Well, and as you said, this is one location, yeah. and so. Uh, it, Something happened, right? Yeah. Something happened, and because it's Chipotle and because of their history, it's big news. They don't get a pass. They don't get a pass. <laughs> they no. And I think that Nickel and his team probably know that. Yeah. that you know, they, they don't probably... get a pass. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's move on to real estate. Uh, Brookfield Asset Management. Bam. Uh, uh, bam. Great yep. ticker. Uh, is buying Forest City Realty Trust. You tell me for how much, because I'm looking at two headlines from one from Reuters, one from Bloomberg. Reuters says it's an eleven billion dollar deal. Uh, Bloomberg says it's a six point eight billion dollars deal. Well, four point four point six billion dollars in between them. Um, it's both, actually, because one headline is properly uh, including all of the debt that is being purchased, and the other one is just this is what the equity looks like. And so, if you look at the market cap of Four City, it's about six point eight billion dollars. So, turns out that depending on what you're looking at as a shareholder or as a you know or as an enterprise, they're both correct. So, is this? I'm assuming this is being viewed as a good deal for both because both stocks are up. Uh, Brookfield Asset Management, much larger, around a forty billion dollar market yeah. cap or so. Um, so they're they're paying a little bit of a premium, but not much of a premium. It seems like. Um, is what was your take when you saw this headline? So. I am a longtime admirer of Brookfield Asset Management and their CEO, Bruce Flatt. I started writing about them in 2002. They are basically their capital generators, and they do it by buying under underperforming assets, dressing them up, either holding them or selling them. And so uh, the fact that they've gone in to get to buy Forest City means that they see not so much an opportunity in the current price, but they see that they can do some things and pull some levers and make this portfolio much more valuable in their hands. And their track record, it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. So the fact that they're paying a premium to Current cap rates doesn't really, you know, that doesn't raise any alarm bells with me. Who Brookfield Asset Management? This I think this might be the first time we've ever talked about them on this podcast. It's a long time company that we've talked about a lot in other places in the Fool, but yeah, maybe where um, where do they sit in sort of the competitive landscape? Like when when you think about their competition, what types of companies are out there? Uh, Vornado would be the biggest one. Yeah, so they own so Brookfield Asset Management owns, for example, one financial center, so directly across from the New World Trade Center. Uh, That's their property. Uh, They own they they either own properties, you know, really a lot of Class A. Office space in New York, around the world. They're based in Toronto. 
so a lot of Canadian, you know, a lot of Canadian property. But they also own things like there's a Brookfield Homes, which is a separately publicly traded company, and that's theirs. They own a portion of that. Uh, there's also another one called Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, which owns forest land, like half of Vancouver Island in British Columbia is. I say half. I'm. Yeah, I'm exaggerating a little, but yeah, let, let, they own a lot of uh, Vancouver Island timberland, things like that. So they are, you know, they they are a little bit agnostic as to what sort of assets they buy. But in terms of branding, not much of a leap to go from Brookfield Asset Management, which is in real estate, to Brookfield Homes. Unlike the branding leap that you showed me earlier today, <laughs> from about 35 years ago. Which was a picture I'd never seen before. We should post this. We should, yes. We'll post it. Send it to yeah. me. We'll post it on the Market Foolery feed. But it was basically about 35 years ago when Colgate, <laughs> uh, Colgate decided that they wanted to slap the Colgate brand, Colgate, which synonymous with toothpaste. Yeah, pretty Decided good at it. to slap their brand on frozen lasagna. <laughs> and it's and not. <laughs> it's not to say that Colgate. Can't be a conglomerate that owns a frozen food division, but nobody wants to. Nobody wants Colgate lasagna. What do you suppose? I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but what do you suppose they were thinking? Like, is this something that's going to extend the brand? Hey, let's get your teeth really, really messy, and then you've got. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely fascinating to me, and I think that one one of the most interesting things is it actually hurt the sales of their toothpaste. Right, they pulled. It's not just that this product failed; it actually harmed the reputation of this, you know, of their cash cow. Well, that I have to assume that the the calculus was the brand recognition for the toothpaste is so strong. Therefore, the brand recognition of the Colgate name is so strong. Yeah. Here's how we'll stand out in a frozen food section when people are just sort of staring. And which one should I buy? The name recognition will be there, and it's like in that sense they were probably right. Yeah, and people just instantly recoiled. Yeah, they instantly as, recoiled as I did when you showed me the picture. <laughs> I mean, it looks. Yeah, I mean, it looks terrible. Yeah, like it just it it doesn't make sense. It looks like something from the Onion. That like it's like someone took a, a like a standard photo of frozen beef lasagna and just like oh I'll just Photoshop the Colgate logo it's like on there. Driving down the street and there's a new fast food place that says Nokia. Like it was just yeah. it was just seriously ridiculous. Uh, quick shout out to TD Ameritrade. Uh, you're always on the cutting edge of technology, and TD Ameritrade prides itself on being ahead of the curve too. Their latest innovations put their resources and services on the popular platforms that you use and carry every day. And now, all you have to do to uh, is enable the TD Ameritrade skill for Amazon Alexa, or message them on Facebook. You can do either of those things to stay on top of the markets. And you can learn more about their commitment to innovation at tdameritrade.com. Slash innovation. New sponsor. Very happy to have TD Ameritrade. Yeah, I'm yeah. a long-time uh, account holder with TD Ameritrade. My daughter, who's getting ready to go to college, we opened her account in 1999 with the with TD Ameritrade. Nice. So yeah, we've been we've been very very happy uh, clients for a long time. So something that came up on yesterday's episode. Uh, with Taylor Muckerman, we were talking about Chevron and their recent earnings. And actually, this came up on Motley Fool Money last week as well. Uh, with inexplicably, with PayPal, um, is just sort of the the continued drumbeat 
the increasingly loud drumbeat of share repurchases. Yeah. And and I I kind of get it in the case of Chevron in the fact that they hadn't done anything for a few years and so they're they're coming out and it's not a shoot them for the for as big as Chevron is a 3 billion dollar repurchase plan is not insane. No. The PayPal one still has me scratching my head. The fact that PayPal, because as we've talked about before, a lot of times the signal that's being sent when company X comes out and says, We're buying back shares and here's our plan, is we don't really have a better idea of what right. to do with this money. Right. I think that a lot of the drumbeat about the share buybacks, in fact, I don't think I know this to be true, has to do with the fact that this is happening after. The Trump tax cuts, and so people are saying, "Look, companies are buying back shares rather than increasing labor, you know, increasing their investments in new products and increasing their investment in any number of things, including just giving people raises." Fair point, but keep in mind that when you when you buy back shares, generally speaking, what you're doing is you're making a capital decision. You're taking the you're, you're taking the the difference between equity or debt. Right, so it's not to say. I mean, it's it's almost somewhat irrelevant. I think people are banging the drum about the wrong exact thing because if you think about it, the other story that's going around this year is that corporate debt is at all times all time highs, and people are wondering should they be nervous about it. So companies aren't really pulling back at all. Now, there's a lot of conversations that you can have about the political ramifications. Did you know are the tax cuts going to do what they said they were going to do? That's not really what this show's about. Right. We could make a lot of people angry about that. I just, you know, I, I see this, I see this drumbeat about share buybacks being basically a battle between, you know, a gift to the shareholders and a, you know, and you know, and something for the workers. And it's just, it's just not. That's not the relationship that actually matters. Did you see the the PayPal announcement last week? Just for context, PayPal is a one hundred billion dollar company. They announced a ten billion dollar share buyback plan. Yeah, and I just I'm still just sort of scratching my head. Like the 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 size. I think it's the size of it. If they had come out and said, "Here's a one billion dollar plan" or something like that, I'd, it would be slightly odd to me, just because I still think of PayPal as. A dynamic, innovative company, right. innovative company with good ideas, and they've, you know, particularly on the acquisition side. I, I, yeah, I you know I what? Know. So I am not a fan. I don't want to be sitting here sounding like I'm defending share buybacks. I don't like them. I don't think that they're a great use of capital for a couple of reasons. And I think in the case of PayPal, this might be really illustrative that that ten billion dollars in you know in share buybacks, it isn't necessarily going to benefit shareholders. What it's going to benefit are the option holders, which are insiders, right? Because that company has grown very rapidly with a huge number of options being given out over time to employees. And I and you know, we can argue whether that's good or bad, but when you're buying back shares in a case like PayPal, primarily it's happening so they can, you know, undo the dilution from options. So that's a big big payola to the insiders who hold those options. Uh, before we wrap up, um, again, you can email us marketfoolery at fool.com. You can follow us on Twitter at marketfoolery. The best. <laughs> um, uh, and we will post that picture yeah. later today. Um, I just want to say a couple of quick thanks. Uh, first to Greg Strassel, who um, sent me a very nice note, a handwritten note. And 
Um, it turns out he was at a podcast movement in Philadelphia last week, and I stupidly uh, didn't uh, find my way to his session. So, uh, so I'm sorry I didn't get to cross paths with Greg, but uh, a very nice note. Um, and thanks also to Ben Chambers, uh, who also sent a note um, uh, along with some coffee. There it is. There's the sound effect. Um, some, just some uh, a glass jar uh, with some uh, roasted coffee beans and a very nice note. Um, and I'll just read part of it. Um, uh, and and you know mentions that he's one of the dozens of listeners and and noting that I talk about Dunkin' Donuts and and how they don't really have a, lo- a lot of locations uh, west of the Mississippi. And uh, Ben writes, let me clear a couple of things up for you. These two things are related. Out, <laughs> out west, we know what good coffee is supposed to taste like. While there's nothing wrong with Dunkin', I'd rate them about as good as Starbucks. Certainly drinkable, but nothing to write home about. For good coffee, you have to find a local roaster, or if you're as obsessed as I am, you can simply roast it yourself. Um, and so he sent some uh, Colombian coffee that he roasted. Fantastic. Yes. I, by the way, I totally agree with him. <laughs> I, I I honestly yeah wait wait before I say this Dunkin' Donuts doesn't sponsor any of our stuff do they No they don't I, I I'm surprised that he put them up as high as Starbucks I know that's a little controversial No, no I, hey I'm 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 more a fan of Dunkin' than Starbucks but you know I'll I'll, 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 drink, I'll drink both <laughs> but I'll drink both I know you are you, you are an equal opportunity coffee drinker and utterly not snobby about it and you know what I you know I like. I like the Dunkin' Donuts experience of going in and getting coffee there. I, I I really do. I just don't happen to think that it's. I think I'm looking much more forward to what Ben has sent us. Yes, yes, <laughs> which will be ground up and uh, and consumed. Do you notice that I put up me in the us because oh, he yeah. actually sent it to you? Yes. No. We'll we'll. I mean, we don't. I don't think we have a grinder on the premises, but we do have coffee oh, yeah, makers. Right. So yeah. we'll we'll make this work. No, I agree with that. And actually, I mean, we were talking. I was in Asheville, North Carolina, over the weekend. Anytime I travel, if I can find a local place oh, for man. coffee, um, do you know about the Find Me Coffee app? No, it's the best. Is it is it all just local brews? You press a button and it'll tell you. Yeah, it'll give you the list of the local coffee the locals, places. Yeah, and, so, it, and it weeds out the the chains. No, it'll put them in there. Oh, okay. I mean, if you're you know if you want, it's it's there. But you can. I've found some really good stuff finding the Find Me Coffee app. Bill Mann, thanks for being here. So good to see you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.